0: We are, this week, finishing up this series on the seven letters to the uh, seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, and we've been looking most recently at the what Jesus says are the needs of the churches. We saw the, the present needs, and then last week we turned our attention to the future needs of the church. There are ten that we identified, but we only got through the first four last week just to remind you of what those are, that, that we will be given uh, the tree of life in paradise, and to eat of that tree of life in paradise. Uh, as it was uh, in the Garden of Eden, there was a tree of life in that paradise. Well, this is going to be even better, because there's no end to it, and um, we will be able to partake of it. Uh, The second thing we saw was safety, both the ultimate victory that we have and the crown of life, but also the deliverance from the coming trial and tribulation which will come upon this earth, which will be universal um, and against unbelievers as God pours out His wrath. He is saving His church out of that, as we saw last week. Number three, we saw hidden manna. We will be given some of the hidden manna to eat. And then finally we talked about Jesus will give us a white stone with a new secret name written on it. Each of us will have a white stone and a new name that he gives uniquely to us. So those are the first four that we looked at. Today we're going to look at 5 through 10. And the fifth thing is power to rule. If you look at chapter 2 of Revelation... Verse 26, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. And the word power there, exousia, can be translated authority as well. Your translations might say authority. Power or authority will be given to us, those who overcome. That's a little bit more developed as we Go on in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, for instance. Revelation 5, starting at verse 9 says, uh, these are the redeemed uh, in heaven saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have Made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. So we, there's a, the coming kingdom. We, who are the redeemed, will reign upon this earth. We'll have different offices that uh, we will be over and in charge of. And uh, it's never specified for us other than that, that we in some way will reign And then finally, if you look at Revelation 20, verse 6. Revelation 20, verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. And Last week, we looked at what the second death was, and and we will not uh, suffer the second death. Over such, the second death has no power. But notice the rest of this verse. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. There is coming a kingdom on this earth that will last for a thousand years where Christ is going to establish a perfect kingdom where everything will be totally just. Instead of unjust men ruling and reigning, there will be the perfectly just Savior who is reigning over all the earth, and that we who are his redeemed, by this time, we will have our perfected bodies, will not be like we are now, we will sin no more, we'll have perfected bodies, and we will reign on earth with Christ. Well, who will we reign over? At the end of the time of uh, the tribulation, there will still be people alive on the earth, And uh, they will continue to uh, populate the earth and grow. And we will reign over the earth. And it will take a thousand years for the kingdom. And during that time, the lamb will lie down with the lion. The the bear will eat grass instead of people. He's going to change the topography of the earth. High hills brought low, valleys raised up. The the earth will give fruit in abundance, the whole earth will be like paradise, and over this perfect environment, perfectly ruled by Christ, we will have the privilege of serving in some way reigning over all this earth. Uh, I don't know if it will be like what we think of today as mayors and senators and governors, if that's going to be that kind of a setup, I kind of doubt God will use our setup, but Uh, Maybe something along that lines. But in some way we will reign with Christ. And that is part of the blessing that he will give to us as overcomers. So let's go back to um, Revelation 2. Number 6 is the morning star. This is in chapter 2 verse 28. And I will give him... The morning star. Now, the most obvious reference to this morning star is Christ himself. In fact, at the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus is called the bright and morning star. So, the most likely reference here is to Christ himself. I'll give him the morning star, meaning Christ. But but why say that? It seems kind of redundant. I mean, if we're already believers, and in that sense, we have Christ, in what sense is he giving us the morning star? So why bring that up here? And this is one I really puzzled over for quite a while. But I saw something in the context, which is, uh, it's always a great thing to look at the context. Uh, the context is the chief determinant determinate of the meaning of a passage. And so in verse 24, it says, now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. And then he talks about overcoming, I'll give you power over the nations, I'll give him the morning star. So what does verse 24 have to do with it? Well, if you remember that this is um, the the church of Thyatira, and it had the the doctrine of Jezebel, who is leading them into all kinds of error, including going into uh, the study of Satan and knowing the depths of Satan, verse 24, who have not known the depths of Satan. They were encouraging people to focus on Satan and to know the depths of Satan, As we talked about that a couple weeks ago, that is uh, not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be going into the depths of Christ and the heights of Christ and know all about him. Well, the way this kind of comes together is if you remember in the Old Testament, Satan is called Lucifer. But the word Lucifer means morning star. And so to to go into the depths of Satan is to go into the depths of the morning star. He's called the morning star because he was the best and brightest of all the angels. He He was the highest of the angels before his fall, Lucifer. And Isaiah 14, for instance, talks about the fall of the morning star, the fall of Lucifer. And so in a sense, you see, Verse 24 is talking about who have not known the depths of the morning star. Which is what Lucifer means. To them who have not known that I will give him the real morning star. The true morning star. Jesus Christ himself. And uh, look also at 2 Peter 1.19. So go back a few books to Second Peter, chapter one, verse nineteen. Now, this verse is talking about um, the giving of the word of God, and, it, and Peter makes an interesting observation here. Um, verse nineteen, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed, to heed as to a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That is, <clears throat> we have this word. And it is perfect and everything that we need for this life. And it is guaranteed to be all that we need. And we should take heed to it as to a light that shines into a dark place. Until, until a time. Until something else happens. Until the day dawns, I think that means that day, the day of Christ's return, and the morning star rises in your hearts. Because when he is all of our light, we will not need this light. We'll no longer have need for this in heaven. We'll have the perfect light and uh, the, the mind of Christ confirmed to us. So I think that's what uh, Revelation 2.28 is talking about, the morning star. And then chapter 3, verse 4, number 7 is um, that we will walk with Jesus. You see that in Revelation 3, verse 4. And you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So, a couple of things here. First of all, we will walk with Jesus. This is an indication of the, the closeness and the, the fellowship that we are going to have with Jesus in heaven. Can you imagine Jesus coming up to you and saying, I'd like to take a walk with you? Can we go for a walk together? Can you imagine that happening? That would be awesome, wouldn't it? And you may think, well, there's going to be how many millions and millions of people there and he's going to walk with me? Well, you could walk with Jesus alone a thousand times and eternity has not yet begun. Because it lasts forever. We think in, in terms of our being bound in time now and it's going to be a totally different thing then. And so... Sure, we will walk with him. What an amazing thing that will be. What a closeness and fellowship that will be. Uh, We're told that Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more. He just seemed to walk right up into heaven. What a joy it will be for us to walk with him. Number eight, we will be given white clothing This is in both verse 4 and 5. It says, And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Verse 5 says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. So we're going to be clothed in white compared to defiled garments. You see in verse 4, you have their... A few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. And so the opposite of that, because they have not defiled their garments, they'll be given new white robes to wear, white clothing to wear. This is a picture of righteousness. Chapter 1, verse 5 says that Jesus um, is the one who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And so we have already been washed from our sins, cleansed in that way, but we will be wearing these white garments to, to represent the righteousness which we have. It will be a righteousness which is not just imputed to us, not just given to us, not just declared righteous, but at that time, we will actually be righteous. There will come a time when we will sin no more. And so look at Revelation chapter 19 verse 7 and 8. So the first part of Revelation 19 is just before the second coming, just before Christ comes back on a white horse, ready to make war with those on earth, and the angels and, and, and we will come with him on horses from heaven, and he'll do all the fighting, but we'll be there. And so just before that happens, there's something that's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Now we're the bride of Christ. He's the bridegroom, right? And so we're awaiting this, the marriage ceremony of the Lamb, when all the bride of Christ is there. And we're going to sit down at this This table and have a feast like you won't believe. For the marriage of the lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. The the wife is the bride of Christ the church. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen. Clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So. Notice it's stated in two different ways. One seems to be like it's just given to us, and the other is that it's something that happens because of our righteous acts. So how does that work? Well, it reminds me of uh, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, which says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Then the next verse says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure." So we are to work out our salvation, but it's God who works in us to, be able to, to allow us to work it out. He is the one who enables us to, to live for Him, both to will and to do. He even puts the right will in us. But we do our part. And so it was granted to her, given to her, to be arrayed in fine linen. And the fine linen is the righteous acts of of the saints. <clears throat> now this may refer to the the works that we have done on earth. And uh, 1 Corinthians 3 talks about how all that we are doing is wood, hay, stubble or gold and, and silver and precious jewels and it's all going to be tested by fire, all the bad stuff gone, all that's left is the the, the gold and silver and jewels and so forth. And that will be what's left over. That's what will follow us into heaven. That would be perhaps the righteous acts. Although another view of this is that having been caught up into heaven before the tribulation and the rapture, that from that point on when we sin no more, everything we do will be righteous. And that that will be, that's what this is talking about. I couldn't be dogmatic about either view, but... Um, they're, they're both certainly possible, but the thing is, we will be clothed in righteousness in that time, and we will all say "That's by the grace of the Lord. Uh, number nine um, is from chapter 3, verse 12. We'll be made a pillar in the temple. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. This is to the church of Philadelphia. It says, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. So I'm going to make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. So what does that mean? Are we going to be holding up this big temple in heaven, just standing there like pillars? I don't think so. That's not what it's talking about. Uh, As uh, Adam was sharing Psalm 84 with us today, the psalmist said, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Such a joy just to be there And the psalmist is saying, just just to be the doorkeeper, just to stand at the threshold of the temple is a delight. Well, how much more to be a, a pillar in the temple? I think it means that we will have a significant, perhaps important place in the heavenly temple. But the main thing is that we will have a stability about us then that we have never had before, like a pillar in the temple right now we are weak and unstable people especially in spiritual matters we keep failing the Lord and you may wonder Lord when am, when am I going to quit failing you when am I going to quit sinning I don't want to sin and but that day is coming right now we are unstable, we are easily moved, but there's a day that is coming when we will be immovable. A day is coming when we will never fail Him again. Oh, I'm looking forward to that day when I will never fail Him again. And it's coming. We will no longer sing Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That song will not be sung in heaven. We will be like pillars. We'll have that stability about us. And not only that, he says in verse 12, and I will write on him three things. i write on him the name of my God And the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Those three things. I'll write on him the name of God, the name of the new Jerusalem, and my new name. What does it mean to write his name on us? Well, someone's name, remember, had something to do with their character, who they were. And so our character is going to be changed. No longer will I be, have this faulty character that I have, but I'll have the character of God finally in my life. That's, that's another way of saying I'll be Christ-like then. Paul says in Philippians 3, I have not yet attained, but this one thing I do, I press on for the goal of the prize of that upward call of God in Christ. And one day I will be Christ-like. And I want to make it my aim in this life to be as close to that as I can. But I know one day by His grace I certainly will be. And so will you if you belong to Him. So we will be like Christ. We'll we'll have the name of the city of of, uh, the New Jerusalem and Christ's new name, whatever that is um I'll, <clears throat> i i would want to explore that more when we get to Philippians chapter 2 i plan to preach through Philippians next and so we'll come back to that what his new name is later but you know so putting someone's name on someone or something also indicates ownership that belongs to it like like if um you have a child who's going to school or going to camp, you, you might write their name on their jacket or clothes or their sleeping bag or whatever, right? You write their names on it. Like when our kids were young and going off to school, Cheryl would write their names on their lunch bags, you know, and David, Jason, Sarah, so they knew whose was whose, and when they got to school, they'd know that was theirs. Problem is, she wrote my name on my lunch bag, too. Here, I, I'm going to the church office, and I'm the only one in my office. Like, who's going to take my lunch? But but it's got my name on it. Belongs to me. And so that's, you know, the idea of ownership. Well, I think that is what's meant here, too. Uh, that that we are, we belong to God. I'll write my name on him. It'll be a testimony forever. This one belongs to God. And the name of the new Jerusalem. Why is that written on us? Because we belong there. And Revelation 21 talks about those who don't belong there. Who will be barred from there. But we will have it written on us. It will be obvious that we belong there. And we'll have his new name written on us. That we belong to Jesus. And then finally. Our name. In the book of life. And confessed before the father. And his holy angels. Chapter 3. Verse 5. <clears throat> he who overcomes. Shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So, two things here. First of all, our name will not be blotted from the book of life. Now, the thing about that phrase is that it has raised a question in some people's minds about whether a believer might be blotted out of the book of life. That is, you come to Christ, your name is in the book of life, and can it then be blotted out? He's saying, I will not blot your name out of the book of life. So can it be blotted out? Is that a possibility or not? And um, so I want to run through some things here quickly with you to help us answer this. First of all, uh, look at Revelation thir- thirteen, verse eight. Revelation thirteen is about the unholy Trinity, the beast, and the false prophet, and uh, the dragon, and, um, In verse 8 says, and all who who dwell on earth will worship him, will worship the dragon. Verse 4 says, so they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And all who dwell on earth will worship him, the dragon, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So their names have never been written in the book of life. Chapter 17, verse 8. Now it's still talking about the beast, and the beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. So their names have never been written in the book of life. Chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne. So the, the white throne judgment here is taking place. I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, who's, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. So there's this book of life, but there are all these other books. And the other books contains all the bad things, all the sin people have done. And the idea is if your name is not in the book of life, then you're judged by the things that are written in the books of the, all the sins. So your name is either one or the other. Uh, So verse 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, the thing is, it talks about people whose names were not written, but it never talks about people whose names were blotted out. Remember that all these things that we're looking at in Revelation 2 and 3, about those who overcome. That's talking about those who truly belong to Christ. Those are the overcomers. Remember, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. The overcomers are those who are the true believers in Jesus Christ. All these things given to them are meant to be promises. Everything we've seen so far is a promise. In fact, it's guaranteed, and none of them is to be taken as a threat. And that's how I think we should take this as well. It would be against everything else we've looked at to think that he would include a threat here in the midst of all the promises. This is also a promise. He's not saying that he will or that he might blot out someone's name, but that he promises to not blot out their name. It can never be removed from the book of life. So, compared to other statements like Jesus saying, I will never leave you. Now, someone could think, well, you mean it's possible that he could leave me? Because he says, I, I won't leave you? No, we wouldn't think that way. We, we, we think he's never going to leave us. That's a promise. And the same thing, I will not blot your name out of the book of life, means he's never going to do it. It is a promise. And in fact, uh, the Greek grammar here uses a double negative. Now, we can't get away with that in English, or at least we're not supposed to. Although, North Carolina, where I'm from, we we use it all the time. Like, I ain't never going to do something, right? Uh, But around here, I guess you don't use double negatives in English. But you do in Greek. And the purpose of a double negative is to reinforce. It's like saying, I will not, never, I'm never going to do this. I guarantee it's never going to happen. That's the force of this. It's not ever going to happen that you will be blotted out. We will never be separated from Christ and his life. And then, in fact, he goes on to say, Verse 5, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I will confess his name. He's going to say, I know this one. He's he's going to confess your name. Jesus said, those who, who deny me on earth, I will deny in heaven. And those who confess me on earth, I will confess them in heaven. He, he's going to introduce you as someone he knows and loves. He, he's going to say to you personally, Trish, he's going to say, I know this one. I know Trish Pierpoint, and I bought her with my blood, and she belongs to me personally. Forever, I love her. He's going to introduce you by name. You belong to him. He, he's going to say, I, what is your name? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I know this one. <laughs> he's the only guy I can get away with this. How can you forget? I, I, I know Dwight Olson. He belongs to me, I love him, I died for him he 's mine he's going to introduce us he's, he is going to confess our name in heaven. This is just the beginning of great things that he has planned for us in fact, first Corinthians two: nine says that I has not seen, nor has ear heard neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. You cannot imagine how great it's going to be. You you cannot imagine the great things that God has for you. Go ahead and try. You can't do it. As good as you can imagine it, God says, no, 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 no. That's not good enough. It's better than that. How great is our God? How great is his love for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for such great grace. Especially, Lord, that you would look down on sinners such as we are. That you would die on the cross for our sin. And Lord, we pray that that we would live in light of your goodness and grace. That we would live as your grateful children, not bound to the things of this earth, but looking forward to the things that you have for us. Lord, that our mind and our heart would not be set on this earth, but that we would look to you, Lord Jesus. You be glorified in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, to him be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen.